With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Wednesday, March 22nd edition of the PFF Forecast. It's a great show. We've got rumors about which quarterback is going first overall. We're going to talk about that. Is Josh McCown playing horse or pig with uh, with uh, CJ Stroud? Or are they going to actually play one-on-one? We're going to dig into the really important details here. We're going to talk about some draft props that we like. Um, Arjun's done some really cool research uh, around GM tendencies that we're going to get into. Brad has got some news about DeAndre Hopkins. We're going to talk about the Elijah Moore deal to the Jets. Another big move for the Jets. Um, it's going to be great to see Zach Wilson uh, throwing to people other than Elijah Moore this year. It's going to be just fantastic. Uh, so it's a great show. Let's rock. All right, fellas, we have Arjun reporting live from the only uh, log cabin in Southern California. Um, so he's in the same state as me, although it's a big state. So it feels like kind of kind of far away. Um, and, and Brad, you're breaking news from what appears to be a dimly lit uh, man cave. I, I don't get why it's always so dark in here. But yes, that is that is accurate. Uh, do you have any like? I, I feel like you should have a uh, like a deer head or like a boar's head somewhere on one of those walls, Arjun. Do you? Ha- yeah, but or- instead, I actually have uh, posters of rock music. So kind of this, kind of a similar vein, like a badass vein. But uh, yeah, we're who, not. Who a- is that? Uh, I can't quite make yeah, it out. So that's that's um, Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, and then the one next to it is Eagles and Fleetwood Mac. So very cultured family I come from. Very, very quality. Um, Eagles, uh, I think Hotel California might be my favorite song of all time. I respect that. I respect that. Take it easy. Uh, like a lyric from Take It Easy was my senior yearbook quote because I guess I thought I was <laughs> really? born in 1962. Uh, so, you know, like good vibe. Those are very different vibes, though. That's like some hard rock versus some like, uh, yeah. you know, yacht rock uh, vibes going on there. Yeah, the culture is strong here on the PFF forecast. Um, Welcome to everybody that's hanging out with us. Uh, If you have not joined the conversation on the printing press, the PFF forecast discord, make sure you get involved because it is draft prop season. Things change very quickly. And that's probably the place where you can most, um, you know, kind of quickly react. We talked about the Panthers moving up to number one before they did. A lot of people in the discord got them at 
370, four to one um, to pick first. And of course, they were heavily manned. They were armed to the gills at the Panthers um, Pro Day today. Uh, sorry, the, uh, the Ohio State Pro Day today. They had 14 people. It was the most of any team. There is a clip that has gone viral of quarterback coach Josh McCown uh, telling CJ Stroud that they can find a court when uh, he moves to Carolina, moves to Charlotte, um, which of course has everyone thinking that it's uh, a guarantee he's the first pick. So Brad, is this all smoke or is there some fire here? There's so much smoke going on now too, because leading up to this pro day, we had Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper, two of the bigger names in the draft mock draft space, both put Bryce Young first overall uh, in their most recent mocks from this past week. There was, I think, a couple of quotes going around from other guys as well. Uh, we then had Thomas Davis, the Panthers legend, who once had a Frankenstein arm in the Super Bowl. Uh, if you don't know, don't remember who that is, who was saying he thinks they're going to take Anthony Richardson. Uh, so there's a lot of smoke going on. I'll tell you this, even if it was smoke or even if it was real, uh, McCown getting caught on the hot mic, I don't think he's going to go over super well on their plane ride, by the way, to go meet with Bryce Young for a nice dinner uh, before his pro day tomorrow. So they're courting everyone at this point. I think you probably don't want to read too much into it, but it's it's not a throwaway line when you're saying when you live in Charlotte next year. It certainly it means something. What do you think, Arjun? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with Brad. Um, you know, I, it was kind of weird seeing the McCown uh, Stroud clip and hearing him say, like, if you come to uh, Charlotte, you know, we could play horse or something. But I don't know. I think the the Stroud thing is there's just a lot of smoke around it. Um, you know, Young kind of got a lot of uh, backing the past couple of days, even like I think yesterday, Tuesday. Uh, Stroud was only like minus 150 to be the first quarterback selected on FanDuel. Now he's he's already back up to um minus 320 so it's a very very liquid market and i'm sure like if young throws well tomorrow which he probably will and tests well then um you know his odds will go back up but right now it just seems like whoever's being talked about the most on twitter is the one is the player that's going to be the most bet in some of these markets which obviously are super liquid but i would still think that stroud is the favorite to be uh selected by the panthers it's so interesting because i was trying to uh think this through okay any coach that has been to pro days before is not going to give anything away right they know that everything is being videotaped there was a clip of someone videotaping a video camera <laughs> to get a clip of cj stroud with frank reich in the background incredible i mean it's absolutely incredible and um so but what's interesting is josh mccown is not a like seasoned vet of nfl coaching and so this is where I actually, I actually think that it's not out of the realm of possible. Any other coach, this is completely fabricated. It's baloney. Like they're just throwing the media for a complete uh, wrench. This one, I think, could be somewhat. There could be something to it. Josh McCown. I don't know if anyone's seen these clips. Is a basketball player. So like him talking about playing basketball with CJ Stroud, I think is a natural conversation that they could be having. They certainly talked before and Josh McCown also remember the, the history here is he compared CJ Stroud to Joe Burrow. Okay. So he likes the guy. Like maybe he, they don't pick him number one. Maybe they pick Bryce Young. I know Josh McCown likes CJ Stroud or you're not saying that on, on tape. And what do you do if you are enamored with a prospect, you want them to come to your team, you want them to feel at home, you want them to be excited about coming, you are going to engage in like all these kind of other things that are going to make the experience great. 
So I actually, as banana land as it sounds, I think there could be some some fire behind this. Um, of course, they're going to do the due diligence across all the quarterbacks. And so I think the opportunity here from a betting standpoint is if you do, uh, as Brad has already, think there is a decent chance that Bryce Young could go number one, get him at three to one now. As Arjun said, it's going to go down tomorrow because he's going to throw well. You and And here's the thing. If Josh McCown goes to Bryce Young and says something like, hey, maybe we'll find a court in Charlotte, then you know he's full of it. He's playing everybody. And you can, you know, you can go and, and act accordingly. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that's that's I think the interesting piece here is because Frank Reich sees in bet, but Josh McCown is not. Um, and uh, you know, I think we can can read into that a little bit. No, it's a great point. It's a great point. Like you said, he's brand new to this this role. He honestly probably views himself as like a vet mentor teammate in his mind still, as opposed to an actual quarterbacks coach. And yeah, now, uh, like I've been saying over and over again, bet Bryce Young at, right this second. He probably will now, even if it's genuine or not. He'll probably make sure a hot mic catches him saying something tomorrow just, just yeah. to like you know obfuscate the entire situation. I, I legitimately would be surprised if Frank was like, yo, buddy, play bocce ball with Bryce Young tomorrow, okay? Like, <laughs> we need to figure this one out. So, so let me ask you this, okay? So um, – what we've talked about the the Texans and what they would do. So let's say that the Panthers do stay at one and pick CJ Stroud. No, sorry, Bryce Young. CJ Stroud, is he going at number two? Or is that like we've talked about the agent thing with CJ Stroud's agent being Sean Watson's agent, the history there, obviously in Houston. Is that actually a possibility? So look, I don't think that like that alone would just like make it not a possibility, but you know, even some bigger names in this space kind of said that, you know, I think I mentioned that last show, uh, basically alluded more than alluded to it the other day, which I'm sure, um, you know, didn't go over particularly well. So look, I don't think they're going to not do it just because of that, but I think it's why we saw Carolina come out and say, like, we're willing to trade all those things. They're probably trying to buy, you know, some fear and some panic from Houston. Maybe they go Anthony Richardson. So maybe it's also an angle of like you can almost have a correlated bet where if there are the one, two, threes and stuff like that, which eventually do come out. If you think Young goes first, maybe then you you either bet on a Richardson second or in your mind you say, okay, maybe Houston trades down now. And so then it's like, okay, who who would, you know, the X team that I think is going to trade up, who do they like? Like you, you could get kind of, you know, freaky with it a little bit because um, it, it is part of it and, and it is possible it influences what, what happens at two. Right now, uh, so the, the markets that are up there, I'm curious, Arjun, how you would play this. So number two overall pick right now, Bryce Young is minus 180. Stroud is plus 210. Richardson is 14 to one, as is Levis. Anderson is 18 to one. Tyree Wilson is 50 to one. And Jalen Carter has sunk beneath the uh, list of players that are shown here. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think it's really smart to bet on a non-quarterback. I think like D'Amico and Casario like they they need to get their franchise guy like it's not like Casario has more time that he can spend just waiting for a franchise guy like he can't just wait for Caleb Williams like we don't we just don't know if he's going to be around if, if he doesn't draft a franchise guy like yeah he has to get someone so if if you really think that Young is number one and like you have a strong conviction about that I do agree that it's probably not likely that Stroud goes number two if you think the Texans stay put which I think they will 
And so you're probably better off betting on one of Richardson and Levis. And, you know, between them, you know, I think Richardson is probably QB three in most teams eyes, but um, given how Bobby Slowick's offense is going to be, where it's going to be a lot of open guys, like he might want to get the the more polished passer, which in this case would be Levis. Um, you know, you, you could find opportunities to get guys at some of these longer, like 14 to one odds. But I do think that if, Stroud is on the board for the Texans. He won't be the pick for them. It's an interesting point about Slowick and Ryan's, though. So uh, Bobby Slowick, PFF uh, alum, who is now offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans. That's why I have my Texans uh, futures tickets uh, locked and loaded. Um, Kyle Shanahan is a few years removed from trading the the whole farm for Trey Lance. Now that has not worked out thus far, but. That process is the is the reason because the process was bad. Like, I got to assume that he and and Bobby and many other people in the organization were excited about what they could do from an offensive perspective. And so I don't know. It's interesting. I like I tend to agree with you, and especially coming into your first role, you may kind of want to take someone who I don't know you feel can execute the offense. As kind of stupid as that sounds, but like that I think there could also be a component of this, which is like, hey, we can implement so much cool running components from the quarterback position that no one's going to be ready for. That's going to throw people for a loop that we can do with Anthony Richardson. And by the way, we don't need, you know, uh, Tom Brady back there because we're going to generate so many open throws with this guy. Like I just need him to make that one read that I tell him to look out for. It's the Jimmy G playbook. I think that's totally legitimate. Um, you know, it, it does just kind of change everything you can do. And I also think, you know, in a weird way with the, the Niners approach, I guess not with Carolina because they went to one, but with more of the steam of them maybe moving down, quarterback evaluation is impossible. The smartest people ever at doing it are still like, if they hit, it's like baseball. If you hit 30, 300, you're probably phenomenal. Um, maybe there is almost an edge to like, we always maybe mock it to a degree of like, if you're moving up and have all that conviction, you should have your guy. Maybe we honestly should look at it and be like, if you're comfortable with one of the top guys, whoever that person may be, because you trust that it's more about their development and, and all. And I get, you know, fit in an offense is, is a different thing, but maybe we also, also almost should view it that way where it's like, just get in the dance and then just like hope that you can do the best job of developing that player. And you don't have to get a guy or you don't have to get the guy, just get a guy that you can work with. It's it's definitely an interesting concept. So I, I kind of like that 14 to one to go second overall. And you could get both Levis and, and Richardson there. Um, okay, let's let's transition from quarterback conversation a little bit. Um, the Jets trade for um uh, trade away. Elijah Moore goes to the Cleveland Browns. Uh Brad, a team that we've talked about doing some nice things uh, you know, thus far, aside from uh the the Deshaun Watson thing, which is still a thing. Um, but uh, how did you like talk through that trade and the value um, and, and who you think kind of won that? Yeah, we hated their offseason last last offseason, but I think they might be having my favorite offseason of any team this offseason so far. Hmm. Um, and that was already kind of the case before they make this move for Elijah Moore. So what I really loved here was and it ties into, you know, I think Quasi Adolfo Mensa last year with, with the Detroit Lions trading for TJ Hawkinson, where the Vikings gave up a second and a third, but they got back two fourth round picks. And what happened here was the Jets sent Elijah Moore and a third, the 74th overall pick to be specific, for the 42nd, 42nd overall pick from the Cleveland Browns. So 
you look at that and say, okay, you know, on the Jimmy Johnson chart, it comes out to the Jets basically got the value of the 66th overall pick. They got a very early third rounder. And in my mind, I'm guessing the Jets said, we're not trading Elijah Moore going into the third year of his rookie deal, a former second round pick. We're probably getting a third round pick, absolute worst case scenario. And the Browns, I think, smartly said, okay, we'll give them a second round pick. So they actually, in their minds, are getting an earlier draft pick than they even want for this player. But we're going to get back a third. And like I said, for the Jimmy Johnson chart, the classic chart, it is the 66th overall pick. For the Fitzgerald Spielberger chart that we did over the cap, but also PFF and Ben Baldwin's and any others you want to look at, it's a fifth or sixth round pick. And look, you can maybe say, I don't buy that. I think it's you guys are too, your, your draft curve is too flat, whatever. Even if you take the average, what the Browns and, and, the, and the Vikings did, and obviously Quazy was in Cleveland before going to Minnesota, was... I think you're finding value and finding an edge in that you're dangling this carrot of the beautiful earlier round pick, but by getting back another pick and by leveraging the Jimmy Johnson chart, which some teams still, and I can tell you this for a fact, still use, you are manipulating their perception of the deal. I, I think it was a phenomenal trade for, for the, the Cleveland Browns. And then also from the football standpoint, I mean, they needed speed. They needed a slot player that could actually separate like Amari Cooper's great. Donald People Jones, a good big body outside guy. Elijah Moore is exactly what they needed. And you get him for two years, about 3.4 million total over two years. I, I love this trade for Cleveland. What do you think, Arjun? Yeah, well, I think I think Brad hit the nail on the head. Um, I think the old charts would probably say the Jets won that trade or or got good value out of the trade, but the advanced maybe surplus value or uh the you know projection charts like the OTC uh, draft charts will say that the Browns got good value. And I, I do think the Browns on top of getting a really promising re receiver on a cost control cost controlled contract, pretty much only costing them probably like a fifth or sixth round pick. I mean, that's, that's really good, really good value. And I think, um, I think Brad kind of highlighted that he fits their offense really well. And I think we could see a shift in what the Browns are trying to do schematically uh, I know they've always been like a, a pretty run heavy team, given how good their O line is, given that they have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but they might be shifting to more of a pass heavy approach with, you know, Deshaun Watson getting more reps, finally like getting more acclimated to being back in the NFL for a full season and now having three reliable receivers on top of David Njoku. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a great trade for the Browns. It could, it could be some underlying signals to how they're going to be playing in, in 2023. Yeah. A guy who, um, was number 20 on our big board in Elijah Moore when he came out. Um, you know, going back on, by the way, I'm, I'm looking at his, uh, uh, his section in the draft guide, which if you're a PFF plus subscriber, you not only get the 2023 draft guide, which by the way, a new version just came out, combine uh, data and more advanced PFF data as well, including situational grading. Um, but you get access to all the ones previously uh, as well. Um, we had him, you know, as a first round guy, um, quintessential slot receiver. I wouldn't put it past him to be uh, productive on the outside was what, uh, Mike had to, to write about him, um, had nearly four yards per route run, which is an insane number. That was like 90th percentile, um, at a 90.4 grade versus man coverage. So, I mean, just his separation was really, really elite only had two drops. So a guy that, Look, it's not surprising to me that he didn't blossom with the Jets. Jets passing offense is a complete dumpster fire. Um, and I think everyone believes that, you know, that Garrett Wilson's 
really, really good. And that's why there was a glimmer of hope there. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a nice place to um, have some futures. You know, if you do have the the Browns, I think we talked about them a couple of times and in the division, you know, what did we get them at? I think initially like plus four four seventy five, something like that, Brad. So right, right around there. Yeah. Yes. I need to go uh, take a look at, at where they are now, but um, I think that's interesting. And, and, you know, it begs the question that we talked about the Lamar situation a bunch that uh, Cleveland is plus four thirty right now, Baltimore two one and the Bengals are plus one thirty five. But you think about the Lamar situation, the, the word on the street is that he has a friend of his mother's reaching out to teams uh, to, to inquire about their interest, which um, is not going super well uh, and is not a very good look. So the, the murkiness with the, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson situation continues. Um, you, you know, the Bengals are clearly should be the favorite, but I think the Browns, you could look at them and you could say on paper, they could be as talented, if not more talented than the Bengals pending the quarterback situation. And, you know, from a receiver perspective, yeah, certainly the Bengals have better receivers, no doubt about it. David Njoku, if Elijah Moore breaks out, like there are pathways there for it to be a compelling race. And obviously you're getting them at plus 430. Um, so I think it's interesting. What, what does this do, uh, if anything, and what do you know, Brad, about the rest of the receiver market? We talked about OBJ. We've talked about DeAndre Hopkins. Like, does this shed any light? And what do you have to tell us about those two? It does. So I know they saw the Jets sign Nicole Hardman today to a one-year flyer, but I am still of the belief, uh, especially if and when Aaron Rodgers becomes a New York Jet, that he is going to push pretty heavily for Odell Beckham Jr. to join him. So if there is a market out there for that, I, I think after Dallas moved on and went the Brandon Cooks route, and you know Odell wasn't going to go to Cleveland, but again, just another team that is not in the market anymore. Um, I think it is more and more likely each passing day that he becomes a New York Jet. Um, and so if you can bet that bet that out there, I, I would look into it. And then the other one, um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, there is a market. I know on Bovada, you know, offshore book. I don't know if any other books have this, but you can bet on his next team. He posted, I think, an Instagram video today where the song Buffalo Soldier was playing. And so now everyone is saying, oh, it's him putting out some, you know, a hint that he's going to Buffalo. I don't think that is the case. Uh, my understanding is, you know, the, the asking price right now is probably too much for them to be comfortable giving up at this moment. They obviously have, you know, some good receivers already. They have a kind of a top-heavy roster to begin with. Um, and, and as much as I, I agree it is a need, I think it would be more like an Elijah Moore-type move for them as opposed to a big splash with DeAndre Hopkins. So, to me, I've seen these markets. Again, I know it's not like a, a legit book on sure that you can bet, but I know the Giants traded for Darren Waller already. I think they, I saw last night, they were plus 850 at Bovada. To me, the I do not understand for the life of me, and hey, maybe I'm wrong, why we keep getting the connection of the New York, the New England Patriots and DeAndre Hopkins because, oh, their receivers are bad. A, <laughs> A, Jacoby Myers is, or I mean, not Jacoby Myers, uh, De Devontae Parker, I'm not comparing him to DeAndre Hopkins, but like he is that big body guy that can't really separate, but can go up and get it, make the jump, jump ball plays. They traded for him a third, uh, you know, and him in a fifth, whatever. But also, Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins were not the best of friends, according to <laughs> reports from many people. And I'm putting that very, very lightly when I say not the best of friends. So I don't understand, but I think there is value in taking some of the other teams on there, not the Patriots. I do not I think the Bills might get steamed now, and I don't really see it for Buffalo either. Uh, just one I'm saying, you know, I think Giants still kind of make sense, but any other team as well, any dark horse you see in there, um, you know, uh, I think is a better bet right now. 
the Giants make sense because of the Daniel Jones throw it up and pray um, way of playing quarterback, which is what you pay $40 million for. <laughs> Indubitably. Uh, yeah, that, that's absolutely incredible. Um, uh, Arjun, any thoughts there about um, any of those guys? Anything to add? Um, I do think Odell to the Jets has some steam. Um, it it kind of makes sense from a schematic perspective. It would give the Jets a lot of flexibility with the receiver room where Wilson, Odell, and Hardman and Lazard could all play every pretty much every position on the field. And it would give Rodgers a, a lot of weapons to work with, and I think it would make them a pretty scary offense. I'm not really as tuned in on the DeAndre Hopkins stuff as Brad is, so I think I'll let Brad kind of speak for himself. But I think uh, I think his point about the Patriots is, is really smart, and, and I, I definitely wouldn't see Bill Belichick making that type of move. It, it makes no sense to me um, either. I just I don't I don't get it at all. Um, but that's the that's what happens during the offseason. People lose their minds. Uh, let's let's transition a little bit into uh, more heavy draft props conversation. Um, and let's start with this. Um, you can get it, by the way, if you go to the uh, our, our Discord, I posted it in there. Um, link is in the description. Um, but Arjun, you did some more research on draft capital allocation. So essentially what you did is you looked at um, how much has each GM uh, allocated within the top 100 picks to respective positions. I think you did this since, uh, was it 2011? Um, yeah. So current CBA. Um, and uh, tell us, like, first off, everyone should go check this out. It's really informative. But what were kind of the big takeaways that you got from doing that research? Yeah, so a lot of it did come from some of our conversations on the pod talking about like, Oh, why, why, why isn't how we're going to select Bijan Robinson? It's because he doesn't select running backs within the top hundred picks in the 10 years. He's been kind of the GM or at least with the Eagles, he's selected one running back in the top hundred and that's been Miles Sanders. So I don't necessarily think that, uh, you know, the Eagles are a great spot for, you know, uh, Miles Sanders to land. Um, just in general though, I think as some of these play our team, uh, teams to select what position with their first pick odds hopefully come out. Um, you know, there is value in like understanding that GMs will go, will pick based on their past, or like what they've done in the past, not necessarily like what is best for the roster. Like some GMs will prioritize premium positions like receiver, tight end, edge. Uh, like for example, like John Lynch has selected a receiver, a receiver in the top 100 with 23.5% of his top 100 picks, edge with 175 uh, percent of his top 100 picks so you can see like he definitely prioritizes some of these premium positions more than non-premium positions um even though like running back and linebackers show up a little bit high so i think it's a it's a good table to kind of like understand where gms i like to allocate some of their resources and i i capped it off at the top 100 picks at within top 100 just because um you know some gms like less need trade away a lot of top 100 picks in the first round um, so you don't want to just limit it to first round. And you also want to like look at the second round for teams that are finally picking in the first round, but maybe haven't in, in years prior. I think it was yeah. great to go top 100 in both directions. I think, A, not to just do first and also B, to, you know, I think by day three, you're kind of just taking flyers and like seeing if you can just shoot the moon with some like tradesy, toolsy prospects. Like the one cool thing here, the takeaway for me is, you can look both directions of, okay, have they been heavy on this position and are they going to continue that? Or have they neglected one, but they need to do it. Like they, they have a need there. So maybe now they're going to go that way. And so you have to do some roster research. One example that jumps out to me is 
Um, and it goes both directions. So uh, Brett Veach with the Kansas City Chiefs, 20% of his top 100 picks have been at the edge. I know George Karloftis was just last year in the first round, but you lose Frank Clark in free agency. To me, in that defense, Charles Menehu was kind of more of an interior defensive line signing. Um, I'm sure he'll play out, outside, but, you know, they, they they take kind of a stand-up outside linebacker types. Um, you know, they'll put their hand in the dirt, but I, I just kind of view him as a guy who's going to play more as like a, a five technique and, and kick inside a little bit as well. Edge makes a lot of sense to me there. I think there's going to be some players. Um, was it Felix Anudike Azoma from Kansas State is one name. Um, they, like, uh, you see some guys in mocks. You know, we always have that, right? The Joe, Joe Tryon, Shoyinka, like those guys that are, you know, again, good athletes, good players, maybe not as developed as you'd like to see. Um, or they have, he had 0% of his top 100 picks on the, on the interior of the defensive line. Um, they lose uh Kalen Saunders to the New Orleans Saints. They need some help there, obviously, Chris Jones going into the final year of his contract. So either way, I like defensive line a lot, I think, for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's an interesting point. Um, this is going to be my question to you as well, Arjun, is um, think someone in, in uh, the Discord actually mentioned an analogous question, which is like, are GMs more likely to attack an area of need or an area that they were bad at that they maybe haven't addressed in free agency? There's a lot that you'd have to unpack there to kind of accurately measure that. But I think the question uh, around what what Brad is saying is an interesting one, which is, you know, controlling for what they did last year. Um, Does that have any impact? And I think, you know, your gut would tell you, yes, uh, maybe it should, um, uh, that, you know, a guy wouldn't take another edge defender there. But there's so many other variables at play that that I wonder if that would wash out. And I'm just curious if you looked uh, into that at all and what your inclination would be. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, and that's definitely why, like, you know, Chiefs selecting edge last year, like, they might not do it this year, but we've seen GMs do it. I mean, Howie Roseman went Devontae Smith one year after he took uh, Jalen Rager. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, like, completely out of the ordinary, and especially for premium positions, it doesn't help to get young guys on cost-controlled contracts. Um, you know, if a team selects a linebacker, that might be a different story that they probably won't select another linebacker in back-to-back years just because – um, you know, linebackers have a tough transition from college to the NFL, and you probably want like a, to pair a young guy with a veteran guy who, who has at least two or three years of experience instead of just a guy coming off his rookie year. So I think there are cases where even though a team selects a position in year N, you know, they could select that that position again in year, in year N plus one. So I think it does depend on what position it is. And I think I would prioritize the five non-QB premium positions, which, which would be receiver, edge tackle interior D line and corner so i could see teams reloading in back-to-back years but for other positions like tight end or or guard or, or safety or uh like linebacker i don't necessarily see that being a, a thing i think that's a good point right like you always need good players at those premium positions i was thinking about different ways to leverage this and i'm very curious to hear obviously what you guys are thinking one that came to mind for me is as the draft is going, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, we talk about live betting games a lot, but live betting the draft to me, I think is a really exciting one. And even just thinking about after round one, we have a lot of information about teams and looking at who they've chosen. And often you've got, you know, next player drafted, but next player drafted for certain teams or certain team to select this player. And a lot of that is just driven by, you know, the hype machine, right? It's just like, ah, yeah, they need this guy or this guy's high on a lot of people's lists or whatever. 
And I think this could be a really interesting way of playing that second round, that third round. Um, you know, as you get in, it's still in the top 100, right? The data is still relevant, but, um, you know, there's just going to be less understanding in the market, right? People, you know, the, 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 it's going to be sharp, uh, duller markets, I should say. But what do you guys think? How else would you play it? I think that's one great way. Uh, the There is a lot usually of going into day two, you can bet uh, like a team in position. It's a little mm -hmm. bit less of like the over-unders and the books get a little bit scared. Some things kind of leak, but the first five or six picks going into that day, but you definitely can bet on position. And one that I loved and ties back to Arjun's chart again. And also I had to go Google it myself when you sent it this morning in Slack. So Martin Mayhew, who is the Washington Commander's general manager. We already talked about him before. Also, Martin, Marty Herney is kind of like a pseudo GM as well. But uh, Martin Mayhew, who on there is, I think, fifth among GMs in uh, investment of top 100 picks on running backs. That does not include, the list does not include his, t his tenure as the Lions general manager from 2008 to 2015. Uh, he yes. selected running back in the top 100 in 2008, 2010, 2011, 2000, and 2015. So he did it like half the years he was there. And then he was in the Niners from 17 to 20. As George knows, they they used a bunch of third and fourth round picks on running backs every single time. They would trade up for the guys. Kyle Shanahan would kick him off the team by training camp. So he, he's obsessed. And then in Washington, they've obviously have Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson. We mentioned him in, with, with respect to Bijan Robinson at 16. It is not an accident that Bijan Robinson's over under offshore is 16 and a half. I think that's, that's by design. But if they don't go that route and that route in round one, going into day two, if there's like a what position will the Washington Commanders select on day two, sitting right in the middle of that second round? There's all these names kind of floating around of good players, or even even in the third round, I would love a running back to Washington in the second or third round. It's a great yeah, call. I'm I'm with you, Brad. I'm a big fan of that. Um, just looking at Jameer Gibbs, who's, who could be a second round guy. He's Right now, 40 to one to be selected by the commanders. Um, you know, I don't necessarily see him going in the first round. I think that's, you know, even Bijan, like he, he, we don't even know where he's going to go. Um, so if, if you are looking for like a super long shot flyer, I kind of like the commanders to select Jameer Gibbs at 40 to one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be surprised if like Washington trades up to go get Jameer Gibbs or something. Uh, and, and some maybe sharper team takes advantage of them in that situation. Yeah, that's, uh, the commander's taking a running back makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it, interesting looking at some of the guys with more um, uh, larger sample size. I just think it's so funny to see the GM uh, for some of these teams. So Mike Brown, Bengals, uh, Jerry Jones for the Cowboys. Uh, it's so perfect. It's uh, hundred percent correct and true. Um, and, and really um, kind of funny. Uh, the, the Cowboys um, have allocated a top 100 pick to a running back. Uh, just twice out of the 36 picks. So um, kind of middle of the pack there at, at five and uh, five and a half percent. Um, interestingly, some other ones that have done so uh, frequently, less need of the Rams, uh, Jason Licht, uh, Light, sorry, of the Buccaneers, um, Brandon Bean, interestingly, uh, of the Bills. Um, so some other ones that are in there for the, the running back conversation. And I think the second round is where you take advantage of that. Mm. Um you know, but Bijan, I think, is probably the only guy in the in the first. I'm not sure those teams are taking him in the first round, aside from maybe the Cowboys. Um let's uh let's talk a little bit about just draft props in general. I think you had a couple, Brad, that you um were feeling good about. 
Yeah, there's one I really like at this point, uh, and I think it's going to continue to get decent value with a lot of mock drafts going on. Uh, and that is, and I've seen it kind of across the board. Again, I'm mentioning Bovada because I saw it last night, where it's actually the worst value compared to, I was looking at a uh, former PFF uh, contributor, Kent Wayrock has this cool app website where you can look at all the various mock draft or all the various draft props, excuse me. Um, and that is Paris Johnson, the tackle for the Ohio State Buckeyes to be the first offensive lineman selected. So look, Peter Skaronsky is going to be before him in pretty much every mock you see, or he already has been. He is a phenomenal player. There is no question about it. He has His arms are sub-33 inches, which is historically a threshold where a lot of NFL people tell you you cannot play tackle. I know it sounds silly, and it's some random arbitrary number, but you know what? It exists, and we're trying to think, figure out what they're going to do, not what we think matters. So he still probably could be an all-pro guard or a very good player guard. Obviously, there are the Quentin Nelsons of the world, but the buzz on him is nowhere near like a Quentin Nelson level buzz. And I think even a guy like an Elijah Vera Tucker probably had more buzz going into that draft when the Jets traded up for him. But a couple of pure tackles, um, you know, that had the size that could play left, so all that went before him. So for me, Paris Johnson, the dude has 36 and a half inch arms. He's a freak physically. He's also a very good athlete, can get to the second level. And the last little tidbit, and this is a little conspiracy theory, but I'm going to go with it. So. The second biggest contingency in Columbus, Ohio today behind the Carolina Panthers was the Chicago Bears. And mm. what I found very interesting today was there was videos of Paris Johnson doing pass sets and doing his, you know, kick slide and all that stuff as a right tackle. He was doing it on the right side with the footwork of someone who plays on the right side. The Bears need a right tackle. They have a starting left tackle in Braxton Jones. I mean, maybe they move the guys around, but I found that interesting. I couldn't find a Bears personnel person who was watching that or making him do it. <laughs> But I found it interesting nonetheless. But all jokes aside, we know that Justin Fields is part of their process. They've said it publicly. We asked Justin his opinion. He was in the draft room last year, which I think is kind of crazy. Not crazy, but like it's not, not common. I'll tell you that much. Um, former teammate in Paris in Paris Johnson, like I said, really, really good player, good measurables, all the, you know, all the yada yada, the intangibles, uh, all Big Ten academics, all those things, like a phenomenal person and player. Um, you can get him at plus 150, according to Kent's, uh, you know, tool, I would bet him plus 150 right now uh, to be the first offensive lineman taken. Wow. I love that. Um, any others on your radar, Arjun? Um, not right now. There honestly just hasn't been enough movement to, to justify any other. It's like, what, what are we doing here? Can we put some phone calls to these sports books and like get some draft props out there? They're, they're scared. They're scared. They're afraid to compete. They're, yeah, they're they're scared of the printing press. That makes sense, right? They, you know, um, they didn't want to make uh, make their equay, and that's their loss. <laughs> um, actually, it's really our loss. Um, hopefully, we'll get some soon. Um, other bets that uh, are worth talking about are Fairlay Dickinson. I don't even know what their names are, but they they not only covered fifteen and a half, they almost won the damn game, um, and maybe should have. But um, we've got some games coming up Thursday, uh, starting Thursday, and then Friday, obviously, as well. I'll just uh, throw this one out there. Um, I have Houston winning the whole thing. Um, they are seven and a half point favorites to a spunky Miami team. Um, I don't think that um, Houston's best player is 100% or potentially even close to 100%. 
Um, I, um, is it Marcus? It's Sasser. Uh, I can't remember what it is. Is it Marcus? I'm not sure. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, he's not 100%. He had a, uh, I think it was a hamstring pull. So like, and the Miami guards are good. Um, so, you know, uh, I think, could he re-injure it? If so, uh, they certainly have a chance. But even with him not 100%, I think they have a legit shot to win. And you have as, as well on your side the fact that I have picked them to win the whole thing uh, in one of my brackets. And if you want to know why that matters, because in the other one, I had Arizona. So, uh, you know, do with that, do with that what you will. Um, but some of the other lines here, Princeton is a nine and a half point underdog to Creighton, uh, Texas, four and a half point favorites over Xavier. Bama is also seven and a half point favorite. They play fifth seed SDSU Gonzaga, UCLA, uh, should be a good game. UCLA is a one and a half point favorite over the, uh, fighting drew Timmy's. Um, Tennessee minus four and a half over Florida Atlantic, UConn minus four and a half over Arkansas and Kansas state, despite being a three seed, is actually an underdog to Tom Mizzo and MSU. I think that one is kind of interesting. No one knows anything about K state. They don't know who their coaches, they don't know who their players are. Um, and so that, that'd be another one that's interesting. Any thoughts, Brad or Arjun on these games. Yeah, I, I have one that I like a lot also. I think it was funny you just mentioned Kansas State and the players. I think his name is Marquise Noel, uh, who yeah. uh, he's very short. I mean, he was awesome against Kentucky, but then John Calipari called him like a little kid or something and then had to apologize the next day. I mean, look, he dropped like 25 in your face, so call him whatever you want. But one that I really like is, and yes, there's kind of a narrative associated here, but the officiate, officiating and, and some of those angles have been huge so far in March Madness. So, Tennessee played Duke, and it looked like they were playing like rugby on on the, on the on the basketball court. It was it was not even basketball, and a lot of people complained about it. There's a lot of conversation about it. The Florida Atlantic coach they asked him how he's going to prepare for the Tennessee game, and he said, "I'm going to go watch some Australian Rules rugby film <laughs> to get ready for this game." And so here's what I like: the over under there is 129 and a half. Now Tennessee usually does slow the pace down. They are a good defensive team. You know, Rick Barnes coaches guys to obviously be physical and all these things, but I think it's one of two ways. Either A, Tennessee tries to be less physical and not be as, you know, bully ball because they're afraid of fouls, which can lead to scoring, or the officiating is going to be very, very tight, and we get a lot of foul shots. We get in the bonus early because of, you know, the coach basically saying, hey, I'm not going to talk, I'm going to complain if there's a lot of fouls. So I like the over there. Florida Atlantic and FDU, it was, I think it was 78 to 70 was the final score. Um, you know, different matchup and different teams, but um, I like the over in that matchup because of kind of some of the narrative, but also, um, you know, just, just two teams that I think can score as well, especially if the officiating is, is you know, advocating for it. 129 and a half is what I see uh, for FAU, Tennessee. Arjun, we, we're getting you on board with Formula One. Will you deign to watch any uh, college basketball? I, I, I watched a little bit of college basketball in the last couple of days. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only one I really like paid attention to a lot was the FDU FAU game. Cause we were riding FDU uh, plus 16 and a half, which it looked dead in the water right off the bat. And then they made that huge run. Uh, thankfully they covered for us, but um, I mean, I think I'll be a little bit busy this weekend with being back at in my hometown. So I don't know if I'll be able to watch that much college basketball or enough to like care to, to really bet on anything. So might be a pass this week, but we'll definitely be betting on it as uh, as soon as some of the final rounds come around. Yeah, and you're in California, which is a uh, desert for people that like to bet on sports. So, my apologies. 
Um, that was our podcast. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday evening. Go make sure you join the printing press. Oh, and by the way, forecast promo code forecast on pff.com. Get all of the great content from both Arjun and Brad. The free agency deal grader is still live uh, team by team grades as well. And of course the draft guide and uh, PFF's mock draft sim all available for you on pff.com and pff app. Love y'all. Peace.